Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for book eight, chapter uh, 20. Uh, what did you think of Pierre in this chapter? I was pretty surprised at how aggressively he took on Anatole. Um, it's not his first outburst like that, though, and both of them at um, Karagans. Karagans. Um, how much do you think this has been Anatole's doing, and how much do you put the blame on Dolokhov? Uh, I think Dolokhov is just an encourager. An, uh, what's the word? Not an enabler, but a... Um, It's a word that I'm looking for. It's like someone who enables and encourages you to uh, do the do uh, cheeky things, do wrong things. The word escapes me, but I don't think um, Dolokhov made Anatole do anything that Anatole didn't already have his heart set on doing. I think he just, you know, greased the wheels a little bit. Do you think Anatole will stay away from Natasha? I think he'd better have Pierre around. Pierre went absolute beast mode. Jen0889 says, Pierre was great in this chapter. Anatole and Helena represent everything that Pierre despises but about society that he runs in, the society that he runs in. I feel in some way, since Pierre is married to Helena, that he might have taken out some of his frustrations from his marriage on Anatole as well. Yeah, good point. I think, I think he had a bit of an insight into Anatole because of Anatole's similarities to his wife. You know, he saw right through him. He knew exactly what he was doing. And all the things that he hates in his wife, Helena, he was able to sort of see very easily. Um, Angel of the Dawn says, Pierre's temper put to good use. <laughs> yeah, a really satisfying chapter, wasn't it? Just to see Pierre flip out. There was a bit at the end of the chapter where he, like, kind of flips and says like, oh, do you want money or something like that? And I don't know how to read that. Is he like being sarcastic or, uh, I don't know. He kind of, there's one sentence where Pierre seems to become like all groveling. And then at the very end, he like basically says, get the hell out of here. Um, <clears throat> Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, Anatole isn't worth sparing another thought on. As far as I'm concerned, I'm glad Pierre didn't try to duel him. Prince Vasily would have made things miserable for him, assuming he survived. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't want to duel your brother-in-law. It's never going to be a good look. Um, Rye Bread Egg uh, says, this might be my favorite chapter so far. This, sorry, it was one of the first times Pierre handled a situation without being told what to do. Maybe this is a new Pierre. Pierre has got a, a real spark in him when he when he gets angry. Oh my God, he's a beast. And um, really satisfying to see Anatole get put in his place. Um, and I love how Anatole remains kind of slimy throughout it. Like he still tries to smooth talk his way out of it. But you can know that he's actually, you know, he's, he's shitting himself. He's pissed scared. So um, very good chapter. Loved it. All right, let's keep moving. <clears throat> Chapter 21. Pierre drove to Maya Dmitrievna's to tell her of the fulfillment of her wish that Karagin should be banished from Moscow. The whole house was in a state of alarm and commotion. Natasha was very ill, having, as Maya Dmitrievna told him in secret, poisoned herself. 
the night after she had been told that Anatoly was married with some arsenic she had stealthily procured. After swallowing a little, she had been so frightened that she woke Sonia and told her what she had done. The necessary antidotes had been administered in time and she was now out of danger, though still so weak that it was out of the question to move her to the country. And so the Countess had been sent for. Pierre saw the distracted Count and Sonia, who had a tear-stained face, but he could not see Natasha. Seems like it was really in fashion back then, because this has happened in a couple of novels, to be like, oh, I'm heartbroken, time to have some poison. <laughs> and then they just have poison. Uh, really weird. <laughs> Pierre dined at the club that day and heard on all sides gossip about the attempted abduction of Rostover. He resolutely denied these rumours, assuring everyone that nothing had happened except that his brother-in-law had proposed to her and been refused. It seemed to Pierre that it was his duty to conceal the whole affair and re-establish Natasha's reputation. He was awaiting Prince Andrew's return from with dread and went every day to the old prince's for news of him. Old Prince Bolkonsky heard all the rumours current in the town from Mademoiselle Boreen and had read that the note that Princess Mary, in which Natasha had broken off her engagement. He seemed in better spirits than usual, and awaited his son with great impatience. Some days after Anatole's departure, Pierre received a note from Prince André, informing him of his arrival and asking him to come see him. As soon as he reached Moscow, Prince André had received from his father Natasha's note to Princess Mary, breaking off her engagement. Mademoiselle Bourine had purloined it from Princess Mary and given it to the old prince, and he heard from him the story of Natasha's elopement with additions. Prince André had arrived in the evening and Pierre came to see him next morning. Pierre expected to find Prince André in almost the same state as Natasha and was therefore surprised on entering the drawing room to hear him in the study talking in a loud animated voice about some intrigue going on in Petersburg. The old prince's voice and another now and then interrupted him. Princess Mary came out to meet Pierre. She sighed, looking toward the door of the room where Prince André was, evidently intending to express her sympathy with his sorrow. But Pierre saw by her face that she was glad both at what had happened and at the way her brother had taken the news of Natasha's faithlessness. He says he expected it, she remarked. I know his pride will not let him express his feelings, but still he has taken it better, far better than I expected. Evidently it had to be. But is it possible that all is really ended? asked Pierre. Princess Mary looked at him with astonishment. She did not understand how he could ask such a question. Pierre went into the study. Prince André, greatly changed and plainly in better health, but with a fresh horizontal wrinkle between his brows, stood in civilian dress, facing his father and Prince Meshcheresky, warmly disputing and vigorously gesticulating. The conversation was about Speransky, the news of whose sudden exile and alleged treachery had just reached Moscow. Now he is censured and accused by all who were enthusiastic about him a month ago, Prince André was saying, and by those who were unable to understand his aims. To judge a man who is in disfavour and to throw on him all the blame of other men's mistakes is very easy, but I maintain that if anything good has been accomplished in this region, it was done by him, by him alone. He paused at the sight of Pierre, his face quivered and immediately assumed a vindictive expression. Posterity will do him justice, he concluded, and at once turned to Pierre. Well, how are you? Still getting stouter, he said with animation, but the new wrinkle on his forehead deepened. Yes, I am well, he said in answer to Pierre's question, and smiled. To Pierre, that smile said plainly, I am well, but my health is now of no use to anyone. After a few words to Pierre about the awful roads from the Polish frontier, about people who 
had met in Switzerland and who Pierre and about M. Dassalis, whom he had brought from abroad to be his son's tutor. Prince Andre again joined warmly in the conversation about Speransky, which was still going on between the two old men. If there was treason or proofs of secret relations with Napoleon, they would have been public, he said with warmth and haste. I do not and never did like Speransky personally, but I like justice. Pierre now recognised in his friend a need with which he was only too familiar, to get excited and to have arguments about extraneous matters in order to stifle thoughts that were too oppressive and too intimate. When Prince Veschersky had left, Prince Andre took Pierre's arm and asked him into the room that had been assigned to him. A bed had been made up there and some open portmanteaus and trunks stood about. Prince Andre went to one and took out a small casket from which he drew a packet wrapped in paper. He did it all silently and very quickly. He stood up and coughed. His face was gloomy and his lips compressed. Forgive me for troubling you. Pierre saw that Prince Andre was going to speak of Natasha and his broad face expressed pity and sympathy. His expression irritated Prince Andre and in a determined, ringing and unpleasant tone he continued, I have received a refusal from Countess Rostova and have heard reports of your brother-in-law having sought her hand or something of that kind. Is that true? Both true and untrue, Pierre began, but Prince Andre interrupted him. Here are her letters and her portrait, said he. He took the packet from the table and handed it to Pierre. Give this to the Countess, if you see her. She's very ill, said Pierre. Then she is still here still, said Prince Andre. And Prince Kuragin, he added quickly. He left long ago. She has been at death's door. I much regret regret her illness, said Prince Andre, and he smiled like his father, coldly, maliciously and unpleasantly. So Monsieur Kuragin has not honoured Countess Rostova with his hand, said Prince Andre, and he snorted several times. He could not marry, for he was married already, said Pierre. Prince Andre laughed disagreeably, again reminding one of his father, and where is your brother-in-law now, if I may ask, he said. He's gone to Peter's, but I don't know, said Pierre. Well, it doesn't matter, said Prince Andre. Tell Countess Rostova that she was and is perfectly free and that I wish her all that is good. Pierre took the packet, Prince Andre, as if trying to remember whether he had something more to say or waiting to see if Pierre would say anything, looked fixedly at him. I say, do you remember our discussion in Petersburg? asked Pierre. About... Yes, returned Prince Andre hastily. I said that a fallen woman should be forgiven, but I didn't say I could forgive her. I can't. But can this be compared? said Pierre. Prince Andre interrupted him and cried sharply, Yes, ask her hand again, be magnanimous, and so on. Yes, that would be very noble, but I am unable to follow in that gentleman's footsteps. If you wish to be my friend, never speak to me of that, of all that. Well, goodbye. So, you'll give her the packet. Pierre left the room and went to the old prince and Princess Mary. The old man seemed livelier than usual. Princess Mary was the same as always, but beneath her sympathy for her brother, Pierre noticed her satisfaction that the engagement had been broken off. Looking at them, Pierre realized what contempt and animosity they all felt for the Rostovs, and that it was impossible in their presence even to mention the name of her who could give up Prince Andre for anyone else. At dinner, the talk turned on the war, the approach of which was becoming evident, 
Prince Andre talked incessantly, arguing now with his father, now with the Swiss tutor de Sales, and showing an unnatural animation, the, which, the cause of which Pierre so well understood. All right, there we go. Poor Andre. He's clearly a little bit uh, heartbroken, but trying to keep a stiff upper lip about it. And uh, Pierre is stuck in the middle of it. Have your say about the chapter on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.